just kind of makes you get you the chills, right? Huh? Good stuff. Uh, fun to watch. And uh, man, I love my church. And last Sunday night for me was just a great time together for so many reasons. But I really think the best part for me was getting together as one church in one place because there's just something special that happens when, when brothers and sisters in Christ come together and are celebrating and living together in unity. I mean, the Bible even talks about this in Psalm 133, verse 1, when it says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, right? You know, I mean, isn't that true? Because really, if we are united by a shared bond, and that is the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that we should be and should live in unity together. And that means that we should be able to agree on the most important thing, you know, even when we disagree on the little things. But face it, I mean, that's not always the case. I mean, thinking about it, you know, I mean, even, even people who call themselves Christians are sometimes in wild disagreement on what's really important. I mean, that's why we have Catholics and Protestants. Uh, and among Protestants, we have Lutherans and, and Presbyterians and Methodists and, and non-denoms and Church of God, Anderson, Indiana and Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. I mean, it's it's even why when you look at the church today, you get everything from homosexual clergy and gay marriage to people who tout that God hates gays. And and neither of those is biblical. And surely we're not called to focus on these things either. Um, You know, this morning, as we continue in the story, we're going to see firsthand the effects of a split in the nation of Israel. We're going to see division firsthand. And and while we're not going to spend a lot of time talking directly about that division today, I want to say a few things up front as we get started here uh, about division, especially in light of some of the events uh, from the past week. Um, I saw an article from CBS News this past week that claims that Americans politically are more divided today than at any point in the last 25 years. And when you look into it and when you consider it, it's not just uh, it's not just Americans, but we're seeing this growing division in the church too, especially when you consider issues and questions like we've seen in the past week when it comes to something like homosexual marriage. Now, I want you to know what I believe on this. I believe that God loves all people and that the gospel message is power and truth for all who trust and all who believe and all who will come. And we want to be the kind of church here at Genesis where where you know that when you come here, you don't have to have it all together. And so that means that whether you struggle with lust or pornography or if you struggle with a racist attitude, if you struggle with things like fear and anxiety or worry or same-sex attraction or even a problem with gossiping, we all need the power, the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our lives. I mean, we invite him when we come to the cross to change us, to make us more and more like him. Now, I believe that God's plan and design for marriage is one man and one woman. And I know that's not the popular trend in our country today. And so honestly, the ruling of the Supreme Court this past week really didn't shock me. Now, while I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this today, I do want to address the question for just a moment of our response. Because I think it's the question that people are asking. I mean, how should we, as followers of Jesus, respond to what we see happening on this question and definition of marriage. And so I'm going to give you four things real quick. The first thing is this. Um, make growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ your first priority. Uh, I will tell you, I will say it over and over again, there is nothing more satisfying than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so make that priority number one. The second thing is this. Invest in your own marriage. 
Uh, make loving your spouse a, a part of the way that you live. You know, make sure that Jesus Christ is at the very center of your life and at the center of your marriage too. And as my friend Tim Gardner, the counselor, likes to say, if Christians would get marriage right, the whole world would look and ask, what is the secret? How can I have what you have? The third thing is to know the truth and when necessary, boldly speak the truth. Because I'm not suggesting in any way that you or I should lie down our convictions or lay down our convictions. I'm not saying that Christians should be silent on matters like these, but, but don't be stupid. And when I say don't be stupid, I mean, I'm talking to myself here. I mean, just be careful how you react to things, especially on social media sites like Facebook and Twitter. Jesus never asked us to make statements. He asked us to make a difference. He asks us to make a difference. And the Bible has to say something about what it means to shine like stars in this world versus the effect and the impact of clanging symbols. And so let's be wise in the words that we choose. And finally, uh, let love be the method and the manner by which you live and serve other people in this world today because our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the cross. And though some will say this world is getting darker and darker, I choose to believe that it even creates a greater opportunity for a church like Genesis to shine brighter uh, in times like these. Thanks. Well, today uh, we're going to return to our series that we've been in here called The Story. And uh, it's based on uh, this book or maybe another book uh, that you're holding in the hand, uh, your hand, the Bible. Uh, and what we're doing, our goal is to teach through and to read through the Bible in, the year, in a year and, and using a book like The Story. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, if you're not looking ahead, to read chapter 15 for next week. And uh, we're in chapter 14 today. And if you're following along in your own Bible, you can go to 1 Kings uh, chapter 11 right now. But what we're going to see today is this same kind of political intrigue and infighting at work in the nation of Israel. But before we do that, uh, let's catch up just really briefly on where we've been. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man in his image. And as the population of people grew on this earth, there was one group that God chose and selected to be his treasured possession. Now, we know this group to be called the nation of Israel, and so it is through people like Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. Uh, we followed all of the ups and downs of God's people, and we know that they're blessed but certainly not perfect by any means. And we saw how they endured slavery and escaped slavery. And we've studied the journey through the wilderness and how they finally got to the promised land. Now, looking back to May, just a, well, a few weeks ago when we were in this uh, series, we spent several weeks reading and talking about the nation of Israel in their new home and how they started organizing into a country of their own. And because of that, it wasn't long before they started crying out to their leaders and to their prophets that, hey, we need a king. All right, we need a leader over us, just like all these other nations. And so their first king was a man named Saul. Now, when you think of Saul, you should think warrior. And while he started out strong and faithful, uh, he quickly turned his back on God. And then there was a king named David. And David was a king whose heart was fully devoted to God, but he wasn't perfect either. I mean, we know that he messed up, but in spite of those mistakes, he is still known as a man after God's own heart. And then after David came his son, King Solomon. And we learned that he had more wisdom, more money, and more wives than anyone could ever want, but he was never able to find satisfaction in his life because he had this divided heart. 
But despite all of their troubles, despite the shortcomings of these three kings, all of these kings had one thing going for them that neither uh, or any of the following kings would ever have, and that is that they were able to lead the entire nation of Israel as one. But that's all going to change today as we look at chapter 14 in the story. And so over in 1 Kings chapter 11, let's look briefly uh, at two verses here, verse 42 just to kind of set up the context, it says that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, his father. Now catch this because here's our main character for today. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. Now, you would think from our vantage point that this would offer a real opportunity for celebration in all of Israel. I mean, it's an opportunity to bring the people together, to represent unity. I mean, after all, Rehoboam's the grandson of David, who who was a hero in all of Israel. And and so there's this power transfer within the family. And so you'd think it would kind of go smoothly and easily. I mean, maybe a parade or a party or something like this. And before you know it, you know, Rehoboam goes down as one of the greatest kings that ever lived, that ever ruled in Israel. But that's not what happened. And so let's look over in chapter 12 now, starting in verse 1. I want to read a series of verses for you to kind of set up what we're talking about today. Uh, Beginning in verse 1, it says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. And when Jeroboam, here's another character that we're going to talk about in just a second, son of Nebat, heard this, and he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. Just a little note there. It says, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father, which would be King Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. He asked, How would you advise me to answer these people? They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what's your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. All right, now, here's what happens. This infuriates Jeroboam and the rest of Israel. I mean, after all, they've been under the rule of King Solomon for many years, and King Solomon had this reputation of taxing the people into oblivion. And now comes his cocky son, Rehoboam, with this attitude and with these words. And he's not listening to these wise people, these wise elders around him. He's listening to his friends and I just got me thinking, I wonder in your life and in thinking about it, my own life, have you ever ignored the advice of some wise people around you? I mean, think about that a little bit or uh, or maybe taken the advice of someone less qualified. Like I got to thinking a little bit this past week. Do you remember? Did any of you ever have a magic eight ball? 
Huh? I mean, for the greatest questions in life, especially as an adolescent, I mean, if you've got a magic eight ball, you just kind of shake it. You ask your question and you shake it and poof, what do you know? You get an answer. Well, I got to thinking, you know what? There has to be an app for that. And uh, so I got on my phone this past week and was just kind of searching around thinking, you know what? There has to be an app, you know, for the magic eight ball. And I found that there is an app for the magic eight ball, but something even greater that popped up. And that is what's called the magic toilet app. Have any of you seen this? Does anybody have the Magic Toilet app on their phone? I was hoping no one would raise their hand when I asked that question. But with the Magic Toilet app, I mean, it's a picture of a toilet bowl, and all you have to do is push the toilet bowl, it spins around, and it it gives you an answer. And so, you know, if I were to ask a question, you know, like, okay, Magic Toilet app, how how is this message going for me today? And um, it says you've had better. So, well, okay, well, I mean, I guess... All right, well, let's try a couple of others. Let's, let's just ask, uh, how far, uh, or will the Colts make a deep run in the playoffs this year, right? And we're getting close to football season, so you flush the toilet, and uh, it says, why do you question what you already know? Hmm, what does that mean? All right, or uh, how about, um, should Genesis have ice cream trucks at the end of every service uh, each week? Let's just see what it says about that. Chances are pretty good, is what it says. Maybe we need to retake the offering, though. Uh, or or how, about, how, how about something like this? Um, this is kind of personal, but, I mean, am I a better-looking guy than our campus pastor, Steve Wallen? Let's just kind of... It says, ha-ha, you wish, all right? Okay. Obviously, something wrong with this application here, but... Uh, but seriously, where do you go looking for advice? I mean, think about your life and the day-to-day decisions that you have that you come upon, the big ones and even the small ones. I mean, where do you go looking for wisdom when you face big decisions? I mean, whether it be in marriage or if you've got a decision to make in regard to a boyfriend or a girlfriend or an ex or something. I mean, if you're dating someone, and just be honest with yourself. I mean, if you know that he or she is not best for you, but, but man, he's hot or, wow, she is really good looking or something. I mean, what do we typically do? I mean, we're, we're going to go seeking advice from the people that are going to tell us what we want to hear. And if you've got some people in your life that are going to give you the hard truth, well, when those questions come up and we don't want to hear the hard truth, we tend to go looking to those people who are going to tell us what we want to hear. Those who will say, you know, do what makes you happy. Take care of yourself. And so where are you supposed to turn for wisdom? You know, maybe you're thinking about a new job offer. And with that, you'll call up some people that have worked for that company that you're looking at and you'll ask them to say, don't go. No way. Absolutely not. I mean, it's not a good place to work, but your ego or maybe even your spouse on the other hand is like, but it's more money and you'll be fine. I mean, you'll be the exception. Where are you supposed to turn for wisdom? I mean, if you're a student and you've been thinking about college and where to go and your parents and teachers, like those who have actually been to college, are trying to convince you to choose a school based on a program or academics or on spiritual reputation or something. But your friends, on the other hand, like some who who have barely made it through high school, are trying to talk to you about a school based on the parties and stories of parties and, and bars. And so we're always asking, where do you seek wisdom? I mean, you may have seen in your life how the consequences of seeking wisdom from the wrong source can be devastating. You know, you've seen that in your life. I've seen that in my life. We see that in the lives of the people around us because the decisions we make today will influence the rest of our life in positive and negative ways. I mean, they're going to influence where we live and, and how we live and what happens to our kids. And, and our decisions can affect the generations uh, to come in either a positive or negative way. And it's true at work, and it's true in your family. It's true at school. Uh, 
I mean, we have to make decisions every single day. And because we make decisions, we have to live with the consequences of those decisions. And, and because the decisions we make can have and will have such an impact on our lives and our future, then it got me thinking, you know, we could really use a guide. I mean, what would it be like to have a filter or a question to ask ourselves whenever we faced an important question, a decision that could really change or alter the course of our lives? Well, today, I'm going to give you a question, a question that you can ask of yourself for any and every reason and each and every decision. But before we do that, let's go back to Israel for just a second. You know, when Rehoboam was chosen by his father, uh, Solomon, to be king over Israel, he sought wisdom, as we saw just a moment ago, from two places. He, he sought wisdom from the wise men, who were his father's advisors, who had been there before and really understood the people and the situation. And then he also sought wisdom from the friends which with he grew up and who only understood that this was their chance to gain power. And unfortunately for Rehoboam, he chose to follow advice from the wrong source, and it actually split the nation of Israel in two. Because you see, again, in 1 Kings 11, God had picked someone else to be king. God's choice to be king was a man by the name of Jeroboam. Now, I know this is where it gets a little confusing, so just kind of hang with me if you would. But you've got Jeroboam on one hand. You've got the son of King Solomon, Rehoboam, on the other. Again, Jeroboam was God's choice. Rehoboam was Solomon's choice. And so now we have a nation with two kings. And you can imagine the challenge of trying to follow two leaders. It's like one person that said, you know, the easiest way to starve a dog is to assign two people to feed it. I mean, that's kind of what you have here. And, and it doesn't take long in Israel before this power struggle ensues. But when Jeroboam finally approaches Rehoboam with a request, you can just see this chance and this opportunity for peace. And, and so Jeroboam says, hey, Rehoboam, your father laid such a heavy burden on the people. Can you make it lighter? Again, here's Rehoboam's chance to make a big splash with the people. It's a chance to unite the people again. It's his chance to ask the question that all of us should ask when presented with a decision that has the potential to change everything. But unfortunately for Rehoboam, he's going to ask the wrong question. And the question that Rehoboam asks is the one that, unfortunately, I think we ask all the time. And it's this, if you're taking notes, what choice benefits me right now? It's instant gratification. And because Rehoboam asked this question, he got the wrong answer. I mean, Rehoboam tells Jeroboam, you think it's hard now? Well, you haven't seen anything yet. And so Jeroboam and the northern tribes of Israel defect. They don't want anything to do with Rehoboam and the family of David anymore, and so they splinter off. And it's actually the larger part of Israel now. So Jeroboam becomes king in the north, while Rehoboam remains king in the south. And so we've got this divided kingdom, and the two nations are constantly at war. I mean, these are people that should be united as God's special possession, his holy nation, but they're divided and fighting amongst themselves. And it all started with the wrong question. What choice benefits me right now? So what's the right question? I mean, when we're faced with these decisions that are big decisions, decisions that could change anything and everything, I mean, what's the question that we should ask, that you should ask, that your kids should ask? Well, you know, the book of Proverbs was written by a man, by this King Solomon, Rehoboam's father. And, and if you turn to Proverbs chapter 2, and we'll have the verses uh, for you on the screen too, uh, you'll discover some instruction that Solomon had provided for his children, but also 
for you and me too. And just in this break from the story, I just kind of made that commitment to read through the book of Proverbs. Maybe some of you did too. And, and this just really jumped out at me just a few weeks ago. Reading in Proverbs 2, beginning in verse 1, Solomon's writing about this gift of wisdom that's available to us. And look what he says, beginning in verse 1. He says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. It's right here that we get the basis for the right question. And I'm going to tell you up front that, you know, this one question, it's so simple that you might feel a little ripped off by it. Uh, it, It's a question that you maybe know is the right question to ask. But it's a question that you and I that we don't ask nearly enough. It's a question that applies to every decision that you make. It works in marriage. It works at home. It works at school. uh, It works at work. It's a great question to teach your kids to. Here it is. In every decision, in every moment that we face, we ask, what's the wise choice? I mean, it really is that simple. What is the wise choice? Does that make sense? Because so often the question that we want to ask is the one that Rehoboam asked. He asked, what is the choice that benefits me right now? But the question that we should be asking is, what is the wise choice? And let me tell you why that's so important. You know, again, consider what Proverbs has to say about wisdom. We looked at this just a moment ago, like in verse 8. You know, we already read that God guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Or in verse 12, if you go a little further, when it says that wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. And then over in verse 16, when it says that wisdom will save you from the adulteress. And then if you go over a couple of chapters to Proverbs 3, 8, it says wisdom from God will bring health to your body. And then in Proverbs 3, 14 and 15, when it says that wisdom is more profitable than silver and more precious than rubies. So we ask that question for every decision. In every situation, what's the wise choice? I mean, and why do we ask this? Well, first of all, because we know that wisdom is something we all desire, something we all want and crave. It's something to be sought out. It's something to pursue. And as Christians, we know and we can have the confidence that wisdom is available to us. So the question becomes, how and where do you find and gain such wisdom? Well, there are all sorts of places to go looking for wisdom today. I mean, there are call-in shows and radio shows and TV hosts like Dr. Phil and Ellen. Uh, Some of you downloaded the Magic Toilet app in the last 10 minutes, and uh, I wish you best of luck uh, with that and all of your upcoming decisions. Um, But there are all kinds of self-help books out there. I, Well, I just thought it was fun. I even found some sources where you can gain wisdom from kids. Uh, on important matters in life. Look at a few of these. Wisdom like uh, Patrick, age 10, who said, never trust a dog to watch your food, right? I mean, that's helpful. Or uh, how about Hannah, age 9? Uh, she said, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer, all right? That's important. Or how, how about this next one? Emily, uh, age 10, she wrote, don't pull dad's finger when he tells you to, all right? That's wisdom to live by. 
never gets old. And uh, finally, Michael, age 14, says, never tell your mom her diet's not working. All right? All right. Not good. But I love this one, too. How about this letter a child left for his dad? Uh, he writes, dear dad, why do you want to be a vegetarian? Did mom make you? If she did, you do not have to listen to her. She is not your boss. <laughs> I can't promise you that the wisdom is always right. But uh, So there are lots of places, right, to go looking for a wisdom. But the best wisdom for how to live comes from God. And he says that it's available. And how do you gain godly wisdom? Well, just real quickly, I want to give you four things to be thinking about in your own life. Practices, something very practical that you can do. And, uh, and in Proverbs 2, 1 and 2, those first two verses that we looked at a second ago, we get a good start. And uh, look what it says, Proverbs 2, starting in verse 1. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands with you, within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding... And I want to just stop right there because even in these first two verses, it kind of helps us understand these, well, at least one way to go looking and go searching for godly wisdom. And the first one is through Scripture. It's in reading your Bible. Uh, Because after all, if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, if you believe, as the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for so many things. If you believe this, then you should understand that God has a lot to say about our decisions and about our lives. And the thing is that even if you're not a Christian, you know, even then you might be able to find and sort through and gain some wisdom from a book like this. I mean, just the book of Proverbs alone, think about it this way, was written by one of the wisest men that ever lived. I mean, even history books have something to say about him and his wisdom and that it offers lots of instructions for our lives. And so we can look to Scripture. We can look to the Bible for wisdom. Friends, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's why we're reading the story. It just to kind of create in you and me this desire to want more, to gain more, to learn more, to go seeking our Bibles every single day for godly wisdom because it's available. In verse 3, in Proverbs 2, 3, he continues, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, crying out for understanding, let's call that prayer. Add that to your list. You can pray. We can pray for godly wisdom. I mean, according to the Bible, that's what Solomon did. He prayed for the gift of wisdom and God gave it to him. And in your life and in my life, you might be surprised at what would happen if you took the time to pray for wisdom, to just settle down regularly and daily and ask God for help in a situation and to seek his guidance from him. I'll challenge you to try it. I mean, just try it this week even for one week. I mean, just carve out specific time this week and quiet your soul before God and offer some of your greatest questions up to him and see what happens. There's a third place uh, that we can go looking for godly wisdom. And for that, I want to go to the New Testament book of Titus for just a second. You know, Titus is a letter written by Paul uh, to a young Christian, one of the apprentices of Paul, and his name was, believe it or not, Titus. That's who he was writing to. And in this letter, Paul outlines really, if you would, a model for discipleship. And it's a model where older men are investing in younger men and older women are investing in younger women. And, and, And Paul's challenge to these mentors is this, and we see it in Titus 2, 7, and 8. He says, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So this means that there's a third place that we can go looking for godly wisdom and just use these words, godly counsel. It's about seeking out godly counsel, a godly mentor, if you would. And if you're a young man or a young woman 
or even if you're new or young in your faith, you should make it your goal to get around wise people who are just a step or two ahead of you in life. You know, people who are already where you want to go or people who are living a godly life. Those men and women who are living a life worth imitating. And if you're a little older, if you've been around faith, if you've been around church for a while now, I mean, maybe you need to seek out some of that same sort of counsel too. But what I'd like to ask you to do is to make it a priority to find a young person around you that you can pour into. I mean, find someone that you share a common interest with and be intentional about investing in him or investing in her because it's going to help them out. But what I think you'll find too is that in the end, you'll probably get so much more out of it than you ever thought you would. And finally, there's at least a fourth way that we can acquire godly wisdom. And I want to tell you about this event that after Jesus died, really, there's the story in the book of Acts about Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples. And if you know the story, they were living out their faith in bold and public ways. And because of this, they were arrested and put before the ruling body of the day. Now, while standing there before this very... um, intimidating and yet high court, uh, unsure if they were living their last days and moments on this earth, uh, they gave this impassioned plea, this eloquent speech, if you would, a very powerful speech. And the Bible says it really kind of helps us understand that the ruling body at the time was, was they were speechless. I mean, they really didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do with these men. They didn't know how to punish them. And, and so they had no choice but to let Peter and John go. And from there, the historian Luke, records these words of this time in the book of Acts. And I just think this is so good. Those present, these educated members of this court, these powerful leaders of the ruling body, took note of Peter and John saying, all we can conclude is that these these ordinary, unschooled men had been with Jesus. And I think that says everything about the fourth way of of, of obtaining godly wisdom. Just write down these words, follow Jesus. I mean, with his life, Jesus was willing to impart wisdom on anyone who followed him, on anyone who asked. I mean, anyone who desired wisdom could come to Jesus and they would walk away from Jesus with an answer. Now, it wasn't always an answer that they liked, but it was always an answer. And so if you're in the process of your life, if you're living each day, if you come upon a moment where a decision has to be made and some sort of action is required, and you're asking yourself, what's the wise choice here? It's always a good decision to think about our Savior Jesus and even ask, what would he do if he were in my shoes? What would Jesus do? How would he react in this particular situation? Again, there is nothing more satisfying, nothing more worthwhile than an all-out commitment to follow Jesus in everything you do. I mean, you and I, you're going to face moments in your life. Forget that. You're going to face moments and decisions and choices today. A moment where a decision has to be made. And in those moments, you can ask, what choice benefits me now? Or what is the wise choice to make? And as Proverbs 2 says, the Lord gives wisdom. He looks to give wisdom. He wants to give wisdom. And he'll give wisdom, he'll grant wisdom to those who faithfully and humbly seek him today. Let's pray.